0: Uh, Truly one of my favorite passages, um, and this is uh, the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 1. Let's give our attention to Steph as she reads our passage this morning.
1: This is the first chapter of Colossians, verses 15 through 28. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present present you holy and blameless and irreparable Approachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you, Steph. Boy, we might have Steph read the scripture and Sonny do the announcements every time from now on. That was excellent. Ah oh, all right. Well, what a packed passage. Right? Like, we could spend years on what Steph just read. Um, that is one of the richest, most doctrinally dense, most theologically robust passages uh, that I think is in the whole of Scripture. I just, I, I love it. And yet, that passage comes to us not as a formula, not as a bullet list, in fact, not even as prose. Most scholars believe that what was just read to us. Was a song. Was a hymn, one of the first hymns sung by the early church, poetry set to music. This was how they worshipped, by singing songs like that. And uh, and and actually, at the end of our gathering, Andy's going to lead us in a song that uses those exact words from Scripture. And so we'll be joining in a you know twenty-two hundred year old tradition of singing these words about Christ uh, as we worship together. And so. Uh, First of all, let's just notice that, that the Bible tells us these deep, fascinating, mind-blowing things about God, and then it does it in an artistic, creative, beautiful, poetic way that is not so much about mastering the uh, information, but is about letting it get into us and change us and and challenge us. Uh, I want to notice a few themes that emerge in uh, this passage. And first of all, uh, we have the word first. First. Christ. This is is called the Christ hymn. And, uh, And it tells us all of these things about Jesus, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Like, I predate all of it. I was the first of all creation. And also, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. So, not only the first of creation, but the first of the new creation. He is the first fruits of resurrection. Where there are first fruits, there will be a, first, a further harvest. The first fruits are simply the indication of what later will happen when the full harvest comes. Right? So, what happened to Jesus in his resurrection, Scripture tells us, will happen to us when the full harvest comes. But Jesus is the first of this. He, therefore, has first place. In everything. He is before all things. And so we go to our second theme: uh, the word all. All. My thing will work. There it is. Okay. (laughs) All things are created through him. All things, all things are created by him. All things are held together in him. All things are put back together through him and all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in him. It is Christ who reconciles all things and it says that the reconciliation of all things, or as it says in Acts, the the restoration of all things, or as it says in Revelation, the renewal of all things, what that did was please God. If all things are put back together, the one with the biggest smile on his face is God who says, this is how I intended this to be. In the message it says, not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and atoms, they get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of Christ's death and his blood that poured down from the cross. And God was pleased and called the reconciliation of all things good. And then we get this final word, which is what we'll sit with for the rest of the day, this word image. That Jesus is the image. Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now, if we rewind all the way back to the opening pages of Scripture, we see that this theme of the image of God shows up over and over and over in the Bible. It runs the gamut of the Bible. In the very beginning, in Genesis 1, verse 26, God is talking to himself, right? The Trinity is having a discussion. They say, let us make... Humankind in our what? In our image. And so in the image of God, he created us. And then, way, way, way down the line, we get that Christ is the image of the invisible God. When we were formed, we were crafted and created in the image of God to be reflections of God. And the reason it matters is because all of us are living into one image or another. We've all got an image that we are becoming more like and that we are reflecting back into the world. And so it matters which image we are living into, right? And we all know the story's gotten off track from Genesis 1.26. We were created in the image of God. We all know that things have, uh, have gotten a little bit more complicated since then. We have crafted for ourselves lesser images, that we have chosen to worship. Golden calves, blind idols that we have shaped our lives around. And the mud and the mire of sin and death have changed the story. They've introduced pain and tragedy and violence and death and and idolatry into the story. They have dislocated and deluded and distorted the image of God that is on all of us, right? And it happens so much that sometimes all we see and all we sense is sin. In the world we look around it's what i was talking about earlier we look around and we go is this whole thing falling apart it's all i see and yet the truth of scripture is that under all of that rubble if we dig down below the divine spark of the imago day is the most true thing about god's creation and god's people we are created in the image of god we were created to be image bearers of god the divine spark is still at the core of you That is what is most true about you. And so the invitation then becomes to return home, to come back to life in God's image, to allow God to recover and repair the mirror that has been so fractured in our lives that we might reflect God's image to the world again. That's what we call spiritual formation. That's what the Christian life is all about. And we cannot do that in our own efforts. We don't try really hard to do that. But Jesus could do that. And so Jesus held all things together, and Jesus reconciled all of us to God, and Jesus then, we say again, didn't come just to one day get us out of this broken, fractured place and into heaven. He came to get heaven back to this place. He came to set things right here. He came to get this whole thing back on track and to restore God's original intent, which was to reestablish heaven here and to recreate us in the image of God. God has not given up on his original plan that we might have the image of God stamped on our lives and shining through us as we participate in life with God. And so we're going to spend a lot of the next year wrestling with that invitation. As a church community, we're going to walk through a catechism for Christ-like living through the fall and uh, perhaps even into the spring a little bit. Um, But for this morning, as we sit with this passage, I want to... I wanna spend a few minutes on this idea that where we get off track in this is that I think we all tend to agree uh, with this idea then that the heart of the Christian life is to become like God, but we do not agree on what God is like, right? I know that I'm supposed to become like God, but if you ask who is God and what is God like, you're gonna get as many different answers as people that you ask. You're gonna get as many different answers as there are church traditions right you've got the church over here that's like we do the full gospel and 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 yet it looks like this and we've got the church over here that's like we believe the whole bible but it looks really different. it's like what's going on here what's going on here and uh and so we have to wrestle with what is god like if we're going to become like god this is the basic task of theology We are often told that there's an authoritative source that will clear this up for us, that will help us know for sure what God is like, as clear as on black and white, as as written page. All we need to do is read the Bible, right? (laughs) If only it were that simple. Because uh, I think that's the right answer, it's just not nearly clear enough. Because if you actually sit and read the Bible, if you take the Bible seriously, depending on how we read it, depending on how we understand and approach it, it can be a primary source of clarity, but it can be a primary source of confusion also. Um, I confess my complex relationship with the Bible, because sometimes I pick it up and I'm like, oh, like, yes, that's good news. And then I flip somewhere else and I'm like, what? <laughs> right? Right? Right and, and, and so we struggle to reconcile what sometimes seem to be disparate images of God. And if I pick up my Bible and I start reading with the assumption that every word and every deed that I come across is God-endorsed just because it's in the Bible, that it's how God thinks and what God is like, And if I then toss that in with some things I heard in a sermon, and then I add to that what I learned as a memory verse in Sunday school, and then I throw in some conventional wisdom, like I guess I should also let go and let God, because that had the word God in it, so it must be true. And I mix all of these things together, I've got bits of Joshua and Judges and Jude and John and Jesus, and I throw them all together into my Bible bucket, and then I hit blend, right? And I got this smoothie theology Right? And uh, the chunks of Leviticus are like the pits of the spinach that just never fully... uh... God comes out of the smoothie feeling pretty schizophrenic, if we're honest. I mean, I I don't know if you've experienced this, and and if not, I'm happy for you, right? Like That's great. That's great. But for me, sometimes what seems to emerge out of the blender is like this Picasso-looking God, where it's like, it looks a little distorted at times. And, uh, and, and, and I struggle with that. And maybe you're thinking, isn't that exactly what we're supposed to do? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? If the whole Bible is true, aren't all portions of the Bible equally authoritative? And uh, I think what we find where we struggle is that if we give all the verses the same weight, we're going to find a God who in one place seems to really enjoy war, and then later on is saying, no, we've got to stop the war. He makes all wars to cease. And, and, and if we're honest, sometimes then we find this God who appears to be vengeful and other times merciful. And sometimes he's demanding sacrifice and sometimes he's forbidding sacrifice. What's going on here? And we're going to end up with verses that say, show them no mercy next to Christ on the cross saying, Father, forgive them they know not what they do. And so we have to admit these contradictions. That is not a lack of taking the Bible seriously. It is precisely what it means to take the Bible seriously. That's what it means to take the Bible seriously, is to sit with it. And the irony is that the more seriously we take it, the more we recognize that Scripture does not often behave like we expect it to. It's just not as clear as we want it to be always. And, uh, and we have to wrestle with that. And so as we, as we sit with those contradictions, we end up with some, some need to get some clarity in order that we might have a coherent faith. And it sounds really nice, and it's easy to say, and it goes down easy to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, right? Or, or well, it's in the Bible, and I affirm everything in the Bible to be equally true. But the reality is, no, you don't. <laughs> and neither do I, right? We don't. And if we had more time, we could demonstrate that. We could go through Scripture and realize that all of us are picking and choosing. All of us are building a canon within the canon. All of us are emphasizing some things and minimizing other things. Here's what I wanna say, that's actually okay because there's no other way to do it. The problem is not that we uh, are, are using certain things that we pick and choose. The problem is that we don't often exercise any intentionality about how we do that. And so we are rarely given a framework for how to pick and choose, how to know how to make sense of things that feel disparate. And so whether we know it or not, we all rely on subconsciously what scholars call a hermeneutical key. Hermeneutics are interpretation, right? There is a way we are interpreting Scripture subconsciously. And the key is the thing we use to say, what is the real story happening here? This is why we get so many different understandings of what the Bible's all about, what Scripture's all about, what church is all about, what Jesus is all about. We need to decide Is what's the key we're going to use to open up the treasure. What's the cipher we're going to use to crack the code? We're all filtering scripture through some sort of interpretive criteria. We need to be intentional about what criteria we choose. And then we get this. He is the image of the invisible God. May I suggest that Christ be our cipher. Christ be the key that unlocks the rest of Scripture, in particular, Christ on the cross. If we have to pick one thing and interpret Scripture through that lens, Christ on the cross, I believe, is the best cipher we can use. In fact, what we're gonna find is that the Bible itself is, yes, God-breathed and inspired, all of it, but the Bible itself teaches us that not everything carries equal weight, the Bible itself teaches us that we are to understand God most authoritatively through Christ in the cross. The revelation of God in Jesus is the key that makes sense to everything else. And the church fathers and mothers attest to this, and we have quotes throughout Scripture that attest to this. In fact, let's go through a few of them. Let's sit with this for a minute. Jesus is the Word. He is the one and only Son full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus has made God known. Jesus has actually exegeted God. He has exposed God. He has revealed God. We look at him and see the God who cannot be seen. Not just a representation of God, but the revelation of God. Not just a a, a simple picture, one of many, but the full manifestation of god in fact it is christ in all the fullness of god in jesus lives in bodily form in jesus he's the visibility of god He took on flesh that we might see what would otherwise remain invisible there's more look at this in hebrews chapter one long ago god spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. In the Greek there, what we get is that he is the exact character and essence and substance of God. So all we need to know about the Father, we see plainly in the Son. This is why Jesus can say that I and the Father are one and that he who has seen me has seen the Father. And then this is fascinating. John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, right? And so it is not the Bible that is at the center of our faith. It is Christ who is at the center of our faith. The Bible points to the point, but it is never the point. It is Christ who is the point. It is Christ who is the center. And it is Christ who holds all things together. He's the cipher, the Lord of the scriptures. He's the one we give the weight to. And so, it has massive implications, and we'll start to wind this down. The reason this all matters goes back to that idea of spiritual formation. Because we're all living into some sort of image. We're all living into some sort of picture. And the way we think about Bible study, the way we think about theology, the way we think about discernment, the way we think about spiritual formation is all deeply shaped by this idea that it is Christ who is the image of the invisible God. So when we find in Scripture things that appear to disagree with each other, we can hold up as the most authoritative weight, Christ on the cross. Christ on the cross. Greater love has no one than this and that they lay down their life for their their friends, and God is love. And so that is the core. Everybody, Christian or not, has a theology. Everybody has a theology. They have words and ideas around what God is like or is not like. And the false pictures of God, and this comes from Greg Boyd, who's done so much work on this, uh, is is such a gift to uh, the church on some of these theological topics, and a lot of what I've said today, Uh, I owe to him. One of the things Greg Boyd says is that the false pictures we have of God are the essence of our bondage. And so when we have lesser images of God, they can motivate us through fear and through shame, but they will never win our heart. And so we have to know what is the image of the invisible God, or else we will end up with lesser images of God. And if I do not trust God. If I, if I don't feel safe with God, I will never be able to surrender to that God. I will resist honoring a God I do not respect and I will never desire to become fully like a God I do not fully like. And so I have to, I have to, I have to fall in love afresh with the beauty of God revealed in Jesus. And so the distinctly Christian claim is that God is inviting us to become like him. And so we gotta know what God's like. And the good news is this, that God is as beautiful, as challenging, as humble, as welcoming, as surprising, as healing, as he reveals himself to be in Jesus. Boyd says it this way, he says, From his manger birth to his Calvary death, Jesus reveals God to be a humble God, a welcoming deep down God, a pursuing the lost heart God, an overflowing with self giving, servant hearted, strong love kind of God. And so when the curtain is pulled back, the truth of God is revealed in Jesus. We find a God who's moving toward us. He's coming to show up in our mess, He's being born into our stories. Even the stories of those of us who reject him, he's coming to bear our sin and reconcile us home to God again. And that is a revelation that is beautiful enough to actually win our hearts. That's a revelation that we are invited to reflect with our life. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the key we use to unlock the Bible. He is the word that God wants to say. It's the word that God wants to say. So. Uh, let's take a moment and let's just sit with this idea and then we'll begin moving toward this table and we'll sing some of these words together as a way of kind of claiming them. But I'm just going to invite you to take a moment and think about any place where maybe you're struggling with God It's okay to struggle with God. God named his whole people in the Old Testament, those who struggle with him. But notice those places, and then hold them up to our master criteria, the key of Christ on the cross. Just allow God to speak to you about who he is. God, we confess you are the Lord of the Scriptures. So as we open up the Scriptures, we thank you for them because they point us to you and you are our life. Form us again into the image of God, which is the image of
1: Christ, which is the image we were created to be. I you